broadcasting from just south of Los Angeles, California. This is the Veggie Power Podcast, exploring topics relating to working out, powerlifting, and everyday advice for lifting and living well. I'm your host, Dr. Ashley Contorno. All right, let's veg out. Hello, everybody. It be me. Ashley, Dr. Ash, veggie lifter, whatever, call me broccoli, I don't care. So here I am, new podcast. I'm going to entitle this podcast, I'm Not Okay, But It Is Okay. Why? Because I'm not okay, and it's fucking okay. Shit is fucking weird, like life is weird, COVID is lasting for fucking ever. We're in this quote-unquote new normal, quote-unquote unprecedented times. If I have to hear the fucking word unprecedented whatever one more time, I might choke somebody because I feel like it's a convenient way to express shit is fucked up and we don't know what's going on. So they just say it's unprecedented. But I don't even know where to start. Your girl got the COVID vaccine, kicking, screaming, fighting tooth and nail. I don't fucking want it. I don't fucking believe in it. I don't, I'm not a mask person. Like, hate me if you want, unfollow me, unsubscribe, whatever. This is my pure thoughts on COVID. I've probably expressed this before, but if you know me, you know me. If you are vulnerable, if you live in a household with vulnerable people, if you are exposed to a vulnerable population, you should shelter in place, mask, double mask, double condom, whatever the fuck you feel like you need to do to protect yourself and those around you. If you are not, you should be able to fucking live your life like a normal fucking person who can get COVID, recover, and be absolutely fine, such as your girl right here. So... I got the COVID vaccine because here in California, they've already put out some guidance and policies regarding vaccinated individuals and gatherings and who can go if they're vaccinated and not, and who can, you know, if you have negative COVID tests and vaccinated people, you can increase the size of the group to blah, blah, blah. So whatever, the fucking path of least resistance, even though I'm morally, ethically against it, it is just the path of least resistance and honestly, the golden fucking ticket to freedom. So yes, do I feel like it's like uh, the right thing to do? Eh, I don't really care. But do I feel like it's the right thing to do to be able to move forward with life? Yes. So if that is my justification and rationale for getting it, fuck it. I had COVID in December and after my first shot, um, I got it at like 6 p.m. at night. So I was fine that night. No side effects, no nothing. And the next day I woke up, I ate, I slept. I woke up, I ate, I slept. I woke up, I ate, I slept. I slept like 20 out of 24 hours. It fucking knocked me the fuck out. And I think it's because I already had some antibodies built up just from three months ago. And um, they kicked in and they did what they were supposed to do. And that's it. So I get my other one at the end of April, and that is that. The next exciting news would be the current United States Open, which is taking place in San Diego, California, which is about an hour and a half on a good day, two hours away from me, which I will be going to. And I'm super excited to see the fucking badass bitches lift weights. I'm going on the Women's Day only. Um... 
a lot of the women that are competing at the Kern, I also will be competing with at the showdown. So it's going to be cool to meet them in person. A lot of these people I know, you know, quote unquote, know from Instagram, you know, chatting with them, sliding up in them DMs. But, you know, powerlifting is a small and tight-knit community. And then when you get to that elite level and there's a even smaller group of you, you guys kind of all help and support each other unless you're a fucking cunt or whatever. But I love seeing these women, talking to these women and, you know, being a part of the sport with them. So I'm very excited to support them at that meet in person, which the only reason why I'm only going to the Women's Day is because Yagara signed up to become a diagnostic ultrasound musculoskeletal imaging technician. And what does that mean? That means that I will be certified and licensed to use an ultrasound machine to diagnose musculoskeletal injuries, tissue dysfunction, blood flow, anything that you feel like you have going on, scar tissue. Um, The device that I'm getting is a handheld device that plugs into an iPhone or iPad, and it can take the images, it can record them, I can highlight, I can narrate, I can do all sorts of things. So you're benching in the gym, you think you tore your pec, guess what? 80 bucks, come see Dr. Ash, I'll tell you if you did or if you didn't. You're pregnant, guess what? I'll tell you the gender. Just kidding. That's not really in my scope of practice, but we could do that on the DL. But I wanted to take this class. I've been wanting to take this class for over a year because it's going to add and enhance what I'm doing. You know, a lot of people come in, they think they might have, you know, some type of tear. And now I can assess and appropriately diagnose that tear so I can know how to proceed with treatment. I can also know how that tear or strain or injury is healing. And we can work by actually seeing the tissue and seeing what's going on at the muscular muscular level. It's a two-day course. And I'm super stoked. So I'm flying. It's in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm flying to Phoenix, doing the course. And then I'm flying from Phoenix to San Diego to the Kern. My friend Jenna is going to pick me up. And we're going to party hardy. And then we're going to watch them bitches compete. And it's fucking cool. And I'm excited. Um, Another way that I'm expanding my practice. I don't think I mentioned this on my last podcast. But your girl is also in school. Enrolled in the University of Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, I think it's University of Tennessee, Knoxville, rather. I am getting a license to be a canine rehabilitation specialist. Only physical therapists and uh, vets can do it in this college. There's one more school that offers the program. And PTAs, occupational therapists, and veterinary techs can be certified at that school, but they all have to work under their, the supervision of a vet. So a PT can work autonomously with canines by themselves with this certification and license. Um, it's a one-year program, and I have to take five online courses. And then in October, I will be going to a ranch in North Carolina for a week and a half, and I will be doing physical therapy on canines and horses to learn my practice. And then in December, I will go to the University of Tennessee, and I will sit for the licensing exam, and then I will be a certified canine rehabilitation specialist. Um, The ultrasound, the diagnostic ultrasound that I want to use can also be used on 
animals. So it's pretty cool all around. I'm expanding my physical therapy practice, going to school for nine fucking years, you know, to get my doctorate was a feat in and of itself. Working for myself has had its challenges, but I really want to focus on becoming a more well-rounded practitioner in the realm and setting that I am in, which is in the gym, you know, working with sports athletes. We're a gym that's dog friendly. So being able to service both of our clientele, you know, the animals and the people, maybe I will exclusively only see dogs because they don't talk back and it's kind of easier, you know. But with that being said, Dr. Ash wears a lot of hats. I don't even like wearing hats. Let's be real. Have you ever seen me in a hat? Probably not. But I wear a lot of them. And it's it was getting to the point where like I'm getting burnt out. I can only do so many things at once before something either suffers or fails or cracks. And I don't ever want to be a kind of person that just half-asses anything. So I made the decision a week ago that I was going to fully pull away from online coaching. Um, I am no longer a powerlifting online coach. And I told all of my remaining clients, I gave them each a personal phone call to let them know Um, coaching wasn't something that I ever planned on doing in the first place. And once I decided I was going to do it, I knew that there was going to be an end strategy. And right now is the perfect time for me to end because I'm taking on all of these other roles and responsibilities in my professional career and doing online coaching doesn't necessarily fit with those or mesh with those. I loved coaching for the longest time. I still love, love, love doing one-on-one coaching, and I still will do that. I also still will do meat preps for anyone across the globe. So if you're competing in a meet and you want either a linear or a conjugate meat prep, I'm your girl. I will give you a meat prep, meat day plan, all that jazz. But in general, it was just, it's taxing. Doing coaching is very taxing. If you're a good coach, you give a lot of yourself to your athletes, time, energy, you know, mental headspace, all of that. And right now with the gym expansion, with where we're at with that and me growing into different aspects of being Dr. Ash, it was just time to give that role up. And there's tons of other coaches out there. I've made a lot of recommendations. A lot of my clients have already chosen other coaches. I do have Team South Bay Strength Company, which is a group training mentality that can be done locally or anywhere globally, um, where everybody's a part of a community online um, and they can train together. So it was just time. It was a hard decision, but I'm fucking ready. Last update is South Bay Strength Company 2.0. This is why I am not okay. So we signed our lease to be in the space that we rented or are leasing in October of last year. They have been doing construction to turn the building. So I know I've explained this before, but for if this is your first time or you want a little refresher, there's zoning for different buildings. Buildings have a blanket zone, and in that zone, it can be several or many or thousands of different uses within that zone. So, for example, if you have a commercial building, which is like most buildings that businesses are, in a general commercial building, you can have like pretty much anything, but you can't have like, 
you know, a tire manufacturing facility in a retail space. That's a commercial building. So follow me there. So you find your building, you have, you know, the zone of the building, and then you have to change the use. So the use of the building that we had was a grocery store, and we need to change that use to a gym. A gym is allowed in the space that we're at. So we also are um, building out a uh, shower. We are changing like the shape of the building. We're doing some different things with the plumbing. We're building a physical therapy clinic for me. So all of that requires plans with the city from an architect and that requires the city approval. It has to be approved by the ADA, which is the American Disability Association. And then each plan has a whole different set of plans, meaning there's not just like one plan that needs approved. There's structural, which is the building itself, like the frame, the hammers, the nails, the studs. There's plumbing. There's HVAC, which is like air conditioning, ductwork, stuff like that. There's electrical. So all of that needs, did I get them all? Structural, HVAC, plumbing, electrical. Yeah. So all of that individually needs to be approved by the city. Right now, we have plumbing and electrical approved. We are waiting on HVAC and structural. I don't know why the structural is having an issue. The HVAC is having an issue because we are putting air conditioning in the building and the air conditioning units weigh about 10,000 pounds. So there's like some, I think it's actually both because the structure needs to change to be able to support the weight of the HVAC. So they have to put like different beams on the fucking ceiling, blah, blah, blah. Good thing is, is the landlord is doing all the improvements in the building. We're not, we're just fucking waiting. But that is the inherent issue. We are fucking waiting. So they've done three rounds of corrections. What that means, folks, are you with me still? Did you tune out? Did you turn me off? Just listen. It'll get better. What it means to get corrections is you take the plans to the city and then the city looks at them. And then they tell you, this is good, this is good, oh, no, this needs fixed, this needs changed, this needs changed, blah, blah, blah. Normally, in a non-COVID world, the contractor and the architect who actually draws the plans sits with the person who's checking the plans, and it's like an open discussion where people are taking notes, people are talking, there's a uh, mutual understanding of why things need changed or how things can be done differently to avoid the change, blah, 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 blah. Well, because of COVID, all of that doesn't happen. So we are in our third round of corrections, meaning our plans have been dropped off three times, checked, and then sent back to us three times with corrections with no context at all. It's just, here's the plans, here's the corrections, boom. Also, because of COVID, there's a three-day hold. So every time our architect drops the plans off, the city of Los Angeles holds them for three days before they touch them to rid of all the COVID germs. I don't know. I thought that the guidance fucking like six months ago said that the COVID doesn't live on surfaces for that long, but whatever. They're just going to do whatever they want to do. So after three days, they pick them up. And then in like a week or so, they call the architect to let them know what day the plans are being checked for correctness or not. Once they get checked, then they, you know, make a list of blah, 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 needs fixed. 
Then they have to, then they call the architect to say, they're ready, but you have to wait three days to pick them up. And then the architect comes and picks them up. And then if there is corrections, the architect has to take all of those plans, take them to a shop, do all the corrections, blah, 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 fix them, and then drop them back off. So every time there's a correction, it's about a three-week turnaround before, you know, everything gets to get submitted again. And then there's like another week before they check it and... That's where we're at. So we've done three whole rounds of that. So last week, they just submitted them again for the third time. And this week, they're going to find out what day they get checked. If the plans are approved, then we're looking at about four weeks from right now to when the gym is ready for us just to take it over and start to do what we need to do. If they have more corrections, then we're looking at three weeks until we find out if the next set of plans are approved or not. So that's where I'm fucking freaking out. So, you know, once we sign that lease in October, every single night, like from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m., I was on my computer buying things, coordinating things, setting up everything so that everything we needed was ready at that gym by March 15th. And when I say everything, I mean everything down to the last fucking letter. And guess what, y'all? It all was there. So we have like $200,000 of shit just sitting, waiting for them to finish. And so once the plans get approved, then they have to get inspected. There's two inspections. One is called the rough and one is called the finish. A rough inspection is when like all the walls are exposed, the plumbing is exposed, so like the floor is dug up so that they can see that everything is done. And then they get to close the walls, close the floor, everything, you know, it like looks like it should. And then they get the finish inspection. So that is an actually fairly quick process. But until both of those processes are done, we are just waiting in limbo. And, you know, people keep asking, when's the gym opening? When's the gym opening? Like, I know I have fucking blue balls too. Okay. I feel like I've been jacking off for six months and my mom keeps opening the door every five minutes and I just can't come. And it's just the fucking worst. And so when COVID first started, And I thought we were going to lose our business because our tenants stopped paying us rent. We had to close our gym. Like the amount of money we had in the bank was like four months until we were at zero. It was like, I'm going to cry just thinking about it. Like it was hard. And then things turned around and things are okay. And now I'm at a point where I don't feel like we're losing anything, but we've, you know, literally spent every single dollar that Steve and I fucking have to build this dream. You know, I've been working so hard, like around the clock, 24 fucking seven to get this thing going. And, you know, it's just, uh, it's out of my control. I can't fucking take a step forward. It's, you know, so I have a control problem and it's just very hard for me to be out of control. So I'm trying to be okay without being okay. And I'm very, very, very thankful that I have not relapsed on my eating disorder throughout this time at all. I just feel like I'm trying to think of the positives, but I'm also trying to do other things that make me happy, you know, in the meantime. And one thing that makes me really happy is comedy. So this episode, I'm 
okay and I'm not okay, I wanted to share some stories with you guys, some self-deprecating stories. Some of them might be like little one-liners. Some of them might be like five-minute stories. Whether you think they're funny or not, I don't really give a fuck because I do. And they're things that have happened to me in my life thus far that, you know, make me laugh and doing this podcast is pretty therapeutic for me. There's a lot of you guys that listen and, you know, personally DM me and text me and give me feedback and it warms my heart. And even sometimes your heroes struggle. I know there's a lot of people who look up to me like in the powerlifting community or as a woman entrepreneur, and it's not always easy, but there's something with successful people and successful people can turn it on when it's needed and turn it off when it's not. And I have a hard problem turning it off. And that's something I'm trying to learn to do. And right now, since I can't focus on moving forward with our business and our gym, I'm going to focus and move forward on things that make me happy. And doing this podcast is something that makes me happy. So I decided to just tell you guys a bunch of stories that I think are funny and hopefully you'll get a giggle and maybe this will give you some relief too and you can be okay with not being okay as well. Okay, so I decided I was going to do this podcast about three days ago and from three days until now, I have made a list of 18 stories that I'm going to tell you all. There's no specific rhyme or reason or order for these stories. I just hope you get a giggle and it enlightens your day in some way. So the first story I'm going to tell you goes way back, middle school. There was a corner store. So this is when I was living in Willoughby, Ohio. There was a corner store called Bondi's. It was kind of like a 7-Eleven and... Me and my friends got super fucking high. Now, let me tell you, I am not good at getting high, like, at all. I've tried so many times, just like I've tried olives a million times, and I want to love olives, and I just don't. I want to love being high, and I just don't. Now, as an adult, I'm 32 years old, I do take edibles before bed, but I usually take them like literally as I'm brushing my teeth to go to sleep so that I do not feel the effects of being high and it just helps me sleep because whenever I'm high, I'm like super paranoid and just not a fun time. So I, my friends and I wanted to buy some munchies because we got super high and we had all of this change. So we, uh, put it all, and I was like, I'll go to the store, I'll go to fucking Bondi's, and I'll get the fucking snacks. So we put all this change in a bag, and I go to Bondi's, and I had like one of those like retail glass counters, and I just like, I don't know if it was in my hoodie or what, but I just remember like dumping it all, you know, 13-year-old Ashley just dumping it all on the counter, and I was like, all right. I need to buy these Fritos, please. And she was like, it has to be old. And I was like, the change has to be old. Okay. So I started like sifting through the change. I'm like pulling some dimes aside, pulling some nickels aside. And I'm like making a pile probably for like at least a minute. And then I grab one and I was like, hey, is 1967 old? And she was like, rolled, 
rolled in coin rolls. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm fucking retarded and high as fuck. And then I just grabbed all the change, put it back in whatever I was carrying it in, and just ran out of the store like a fucking idiot. And I was so embarrassed because she did not say old. She wanted it rolled. My next story, actually, I'm going to have a couple high stories in a roll, in a roll, (laughs) in a row, okay? So my next story is flash to Ashley as an adult. Um, Stephen and I went to visit my friend Sarah, who was a traveling physical therapist. At this time, she was in Bellingham, Washington. And I don't know if any of y'all know or have been to Bellingham, but it's like the whitest, squarest place ever. Anyways, it was cold. It was like hailing. It was like not a fun time to like do anything. So weed was legal at that time at that place. So we went through to like a weed shop and mind you, so like, at this point in time, so this was like a couple years ago, like I've literally smoked weed probably like six or seven times in my life because of how bad I am at smoking weed. Like it just is not fun for me. And uh, we just like thought it was a good idea because I haven't done it probably in like five years or more at this time. So it's like, you know, maybe it's different now that I'm older. So Stephen and I choose malt balls. I forget what Sarah got. So we get these malt balls, and the guy that sold it to us, he's like, Hey, yo, if you're not a pro, take it slow. Because I asked him how many we should take, and I was like, All right, I will heed that warning. Thank you, bro. I don't know why he was, like, talking like it was high. He probably wasn't high, but in this, you know, recollection of the story, he's very high. So we go back to Sarah's place, and since it was, like, hailing and windy and raining, we watched this movie called It Follows. I don't know if you've ever seen this movie. I haven't watched it not high, but what I remember of this movie, high as fuck, is this movie is, like, weird with, like... So the movie itself is about a sexually transmitted disease that, like murders you or like once you get it you can only pass it through sex and then like someone's like chasing you to murder you I don't know it's fucking weird but there's like all these weird panning camera angles like they'll just be like a 30 second to two minute scene where the camera is just like spinning in a circle and it's like super fucking weird and like when you're high it's like oh my god what the fuck so I was like tripped the fuck out So Steven and I, like, I think on the ride home, it was like an eight pack of malt balls. We each ate one and then we were like, okay, let's have another. Okay, let's have another. Okay, let's have another. So we ate the whole fucking thing. Like, if you could think of a worst case scenario, this was the worst case scenario. So we watched this movie and like, I'm getting like super fucked up as we're watching this movie. Like, whoa, this shit is fucking weird. Like, it's a, when you watch a movie that's weird when you're not high, And then you watch it when you're high. It's just that much more weird. And then we watched one of, I think it was the Fast and the Furious. I'm pretty sure. And I was so high, like everybody was quiet, but I just could not stop talking. I was like making all this like unasked for commentary, like about the movie. And then all of a sudden I stood up and I was freaking out. And I'm like, Steven, 
Steven, Sarah, Sarah, Steven, hey, 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 is my arm dislocated? It's dislocated. Put it back in place. It's dislocated. Oh, my God, my other arm's dislocated. Oh, my God, please, my hip is dislocated. And, like, I thought my limbs were literally dislocating and falling off of my body, and I was tripping fucking balls for the next four hours thinking all four of my appendages were literally falling from my thorax. And... All I got to say is it was not a good fucking time. So I should have heeded the warning of if you're not a pro, take it slow. So this next high story, high Ashley story, leads me back to high school. I was below the age of 18, not exactly sure how old I was, but I was of driving age and below 18. So somewhere between 16 and 17.9999. I was at a party at my friend's house with my friend Angela, and we were in an apartment complex, not sure how many floors up, but it was at least the fifth floor higher. And the cops came. And as if any of y'all know, like, cop business. When the cops come, you don't necessarily have to open the door for them. Like, you you know, if they're like, oh, we're here for a noise complaint, you'll be like, oh, okay, we'll shut the fuck up. Bye. But they decided to open the door. I believe it was sometime around three in the morning. It was getting close to the twilight dawn hour. And they let them in. And um, one of the guys that was at the party started fighting the cops. And I thought that this was my out. So I was, I was high and drunk. So I ran. And I ran down the stairs like I was in like some fucking wedge heels. I, I think I left some of my shit there. And I just fucking, I don't know why I didn't decide to take the elevator. I just decided the stairs were a better option, like maybe to make myself dramatic or whatever. But I went down all of the stairs. Boom, 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 boom. Got to my car. I was in Mayfield. And I drove a Chevy Cavalier at the time. So I was definitely like 16 and a half, 17 years old. And Mayfield was about 25 minutes from where I lived at the time. So I get in my car and I drive and I was like, fuck. I told my mom that I was staying at my friend Stephanie's house. I can't go home at like 3.30 or 4 in the morning and, you know, like tell her what the fuck's going on. So I decided to be productive. And I was like, I'll just drive and go get an oil change because I needed an oil change anyways. So I drove to Walmart and I, um, I went and I think the Walmart, like the service center opened at like 530. So it was somewhere around then. I went, I got my oil changed and then I parked in the parking lot. I'm like, I still can't go home at like 630 in the morning. So I'm just going to chill in my car. And then because I was high, I started getting so fucking paranoid. Like, oh my God, they're watching. And I was like looking up at like the halogen lights in the parking lot. Like, oh my God, there's cameras. They know I'm here. Like, holy shit, they can see me. Oh my God, what am I going to do? So I like started hiding. I like laid in the back seat and I was like, oh my God, no, they can still see me. So I don't know if any of y'all have ever been in a 1992 Chevy Cavalier, but you can pull the back seat down and access the trunk. So that is what I did. I went and I crawled in my trunk and I was going to hide in my trunk and take a nap for a couple hours until it was an appropriate time to go home. Well, about 10 minutes into that adventure, I was like, 
holy fucking shit, I just locked myself in my own goddamn trunk. Now not only am I high as fuck, it's six in the morning, I'm in a Walmart parking lot, now I have to fucking call my mom to come get me and tell her that I'm in my fucking trunk, and I put myself in the goddamn trunk. So I panicked for maybe like 10 minutes, and then I found this glowing amber-colored little tab that said, pull me, and I pulled it, and it popped the trunk open. Thank God for that. So six in the morning, I crawl out of my own trunk, and I'm sure whoever saw me was like, what the fuck is going on here? And then I get back in my car, and I drive home. So at this point, although I was like, holy shit, I just fucking, like, escaped purgatory, Everything's okay. I'm going to go home. I haven't slept. It's been a long, crazy night. I'm going to go take a nap. Hi, Mom. Bye, Mom. Goodbye. Ring, 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 ring. It's the Mayfield Police Department calling my fucking house because the friend Stephanie that I stayed with snitched me the fuck out and told the police that I was there with her. That fucking hoe. She shouldn't have done that. So I ended up doing like 20 fucking hours of community service with the Mayfield Police Department, but what the fuck ever, but at least I didn't have to call someone to unlock me out of my own goddamn trunk, okay? This next story has nothing to do with narcotics. I was probably about 12 years old. Your girl used to be in Bataan. I used to love Bataan. I was in the East Lake Twirling Angels. And because I was a little bit chunky as a child, the acronym for the East Lake Twirling Angels was E-T-A. My loving brother used to say it should be E-A-T for E because I was chunky. Fuck you, Mike. Anyways... We, every year there was like an award ceremony for, you know, different accolades you could achieve during the year as a twirling angel or whatever the fuck it was. So one of the leaders came up to me and they were like, this is your gift. Here you go. And I was so excited because they gave me this box that was wrapped and I had no idea what it was. And then when they called my name up to the stage, I like walked up and I was so happy. Little 12 year old, little Ashley, like, oh my God, I got this special fucking gift. They're calling my name. I get to go up to the stage and I start opening it. And then like three people bum rush me and they're like, no, 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 no. You're giving that gift to your coach. I was chosen to be the one to deliver the gift to the coach. And I was so embarrassed at what I did that I just started crying right then and there. Like, oh, no. (laughs) They should have been a little bit more clear with the directions. Okay. Next story. Moving forward. This is when I have my Nova girl. So I was uh, about 22, 23 years old. Um, I got Nova because I got divorced and... I decided I wanted to be the fucking dog lady instead of being with a man. And I was 100% content with being a dog lady until indefinitely. And so I had Nova. I used to walk her like three hours a day sometimes. Just like she loved walking. I love walking. You know, it was very, very nice and easy to walk and 
good old Willoughby, Ohio. So I did. And I don't know if any of y'all have ever like been on a walk, on a hike and had to like take a shit, but it's a very uncomfortable process. Like, what do you do as an adult, as an adult human being? And you have to shit so fucking bad that you are prairie dogging that motherfucker. What do you do with your feces? Like, like, tell me, tell me, like, it's, it's a predicament. So there's two stories I'm going to tell you. The first one is I was probably like a eight minute walk from my house, maybe five minutes if I booked it. And I just like, I was at the point where I was like, oh my God, I'm sweating. I'm prairie dogging it like, holy fuck. Why? Right now. Why? And Nova started taking a shit behind this dumpster. And I was like, guess what, Nova? This seems like a great spot. I'm going to just join you. And Nova and I shit in the same place at the same time. And I used poop bags to pick both up. And I threw it away in the dumpster. And boop, boop, clean my hands. All is well. One other time, I was jogging. Uh, actually, I don't think I had Nova at this point. I was just jogging solo, which is a very rare occasion because I do not run unless it's for my life, but I was jogging or I was talking, I don't know what I was doing, whatever. I was walking around the community of Willoughby and same thing. Like I was farther this time. I was probably like a 15 minute walk, uh, away And Willoughby, Ohio is a very, very nice community. So, like, if you're listening to me and you're an Angelino, like, I'm sorry, you don't know what it's like to be, like, in a very nice community because here the shit that I'm about to describe does not happen. But where I'm from, it does. The suburbs of white suburbia. Like, let my privilege speak for this funny story. So I'm walking and, like... It's about to happen. Like, I'm like, I am literally going to shit my pants in this residential neighborhood or something's going to happen. So I see this woman chilling on her porch. She's like sipping tea, reading a book. It's like a Saturday afternoon. She just looks so comfy. And I'm like, hello, ma'am. My name is Ashley. And I'm so sorry, but I have to pee so bad. And I'm just out for a jog. And I'm about two miles away from my home. Is there any way that I can use your restroom? She's like, oh, my God. Yes, absolutely. Come on in. So she lets me in. Her little like uh, bathroom is like right by the door. And I I take the fattest fucking shit in this lady's house and there was no spray and I just try you know when you try to like flush it as you're pooping like as a courtesy like maybe it won't smell as bad if it's going down as I'm going down you know what I'm saying but I was just like thank you and I ran as fast as I could away maybe I wasn't running to begin with but I was running after so I could run away from the smell of my shit so that hopefully she wouldn't fucking see me Okay, next story is a very funny story. This is one of my favorite stories to tell. I don't think I'm going to get through all of these stories, honestly, because I'm 40 minutes into this podcast as I'm watching my little time clock, and I've probably only gotten through like five of these stories. So the next one is one of my faves. So I went on a blind date. I am not a blind date kind of person, but... I'm going to tell you why I went on this blind date. So, your girl was out drinking. 
Sangle and Dorinkin. I was probably about 22 years old at this time. And I met this guy while I was out, you know, like at the fucking dance club, whatever, wherever the fuck I was. And I agreed to go out on a date with him that week. So we exchanged numbers, blah, blah, blah. That week he texts me. I want to say his name was Dustin, Justin, something like an Austin, whatever. And we agreed to go to a comedy club. Cool. Uh, I think it was my choice. I was like, yeah, let's go somewhere in downtown Cleveland because the circle that I hung out with or like people that knew me, like I don't ever go downtown to downtown Cleveland to go out for events or activities. So I was like, this is perfect because I don't really remember who this guy is or what he looks like. So if it's not a good situation, nobody will know me where I'm going. Perfect. So Dustin, Justin, we'll just call him Bustin, all right? Bustin comes and picks me up in a fucking lifted truck that is so big I can barely get into it. Well, no, 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 let me back up. Bustin comes to my door. I bust that shit open, and my eyes probably busted out of their fucking sockets because Bustin, I call it a blind date because although I met this man, he was, I like fucking beer goggles in full effect, beer blinders, whatever you want to call them. Like this man was not my type whatsoever. But I'm like, you know what? Whatever. We will just have a great time hanging out, whatever. I'm a man, you're a woman, let's just have a good date. So I get in Bustin's truck, barely, and on the fucking, like, the dash, on the passenger dash, like, just above where the glove box is, is a bumper sticker that says, I, like the letter I, and then a heart, and then two stick figures having sex. Like, I heart fucking. Like, fucking, this man's a catch, right? So, Bustin and I drive to Cleveland, which is about a 20-minute drive. I have no idea what we talked about. I probably just was like, yes, whatever answer will get me out of this conversation faster, I will agree or deny with whatever you're saying. We get to the fucking comedy club. And I'd never been to this comedy club. But I was actually really excited. Like some of the comedians, there was like three comedians that were performing. One was well known. And I was happy to go to a live comedy show because regardless of who you're with, going to a comedy show is, you know, an entertaining and good time. So it was called Pickwick and Frolic. So the way Pickwick and Frolic is set up is you walk in from the street of Cleveland and it's like a bar setting. So there's like a, you know, it's a bar restaurant. So there's, you know, tables, there's a huge bar, whatever. And then you walk all the way to the back of the restaurant and then there's like the entrance to the comedy club. So there's like a door with a bouncer and there's tickets and you walk downstairs, you go to the comedy club. So it's like, you know, kind of like, just like the movies. It's pretty, it's a really cool place. It's really cool how they have it set up. But no, regardless, you have to walk through the whole restaurant and bar to get to the comedy club. There's no separate entrance just for the comedy club. So him and I are walking through the restaurant to get to the comedy club. I We were kind of a little bit late or like just on time. And I don't know if you've ever been new at comedy show, but it's one of those things you want to get to early so that you get good seating. Good seating in a comedy show is usually not up front because when you're right up front, you get fucking picked down. So 
we're walking to the back of the club. There's like a, a bar in the back and we round the corner to the bar in the back right before we get to the club. And I am stopped dead in my motherfucking tracks because I see my brother. My brother, who is three years older than me, is sitting at the bar with this woman who could be our mother. My brother likes mother figures. And I gave him two rules about his mother or just in dating in general as his sister. You cannot date women who are of the age that could be our parents. And you can also not date women who have children that are closer in age to you than they are. As his loving blood relative, those are the two rules that I gave him. So my brother is sitting there in a, I don't know what you want to call it, a blazer, a smoking jacket, whatever. He's got like a five o'clock shadow and a mustachio, and he's trying to be fucking like suave out there with this fucking lady that probably could be our grandmother. And then I'm walking up with fucking, you know, this guy. I don't even know how to describe him. Like, I would describe this dude... As if I met him drunk as fuck at a Brad Paisley concert at 2 in the morning when it was 90 degrees outside. Like, trucker hat, cut off, sweaty, bat, just all up on himself, ready to go hunting and kill some jerky tomorrow. And we both look at each other like deer in the motherfucking headlights because... I wanted to go to this place because this was the last place I thought I would ever see someone I knew. And he actually did the same. And I was like, hey, this is my date. And he's like, hey, this is my date. Hi. And we just like very awkwardly like walked by each other. And then like it just happened. And it was the most awkward thing ever. And then, so, yes, that happened. And then we get to the comedy club, and we are in the front fucking row. Like, front and center, because we're fucking late. And nobody wants to be, I think Nikki Glazer was the comedian, was the headliner. So, once Nikki went on stage, she starts asking people their origin story, their love story. So, she asks us... But somehow, before we went into the club, this dude leaned over to me and he was like, hey, we need a story in case they go on to us. Like, this was his fucking MO and he had done this before. He's like, we met in the grocery store in the freezer aisle. And I was like, all right, whatever, dude. So she fucking asked us, hey, how'd you guys meet? Because the last thing I wanted to tell her was, oh, I met this dude, like, last week, and I was drunk as fuck, and then when he showed up at my door, I was like, you can fucking go away, motherfucker, because I'm totally not attracted to you, and I don't want to go on the state at all. But here we are. So we went along with it that we met in the fucking freezer aisle, whatever, and then she asked him what he did for a living, of which I did not know the answer, and he is a boat captain, which means he charters boats. And Nikki Glazer just went on, ripped him a new asshole for like six or seven fucking minutes about him being a boat captain. 
It was very awkward and uncomfortable, but honestly very funny. You know, I could take a joke. So I was like fucking laughing. I was like, ha whatever. I saw my brother, but nobody else fucking knows me here. And during intermission, I went to the restroom. And when I go to the restroom, I saw one of my best friends from high school. Emily. And she was like, what are you doing with that dude? And I was like, oh my fucking God, the saga fucking continues. I cannot escape this nightmare. And I mean, long story short, uh, when we went home, he was very upset that I did not want to kiss him goodnight. But uh, I feel like I, I gave him a good enough night by just tolerating all the bullshit that we went through. And yes, that will be my last story. I do have several more, but I feel like that's good enough for now. And I appreciate all y'all listening. But the moral to this podcast episode is that I hope if any of you are struggling, that you can find something that gives you some sort of temporary relief, whether it's going outside, feeling the sunshine, listening to a podcast that makes you giggle, reuniting with a friend that is close to you. Today, I went outside and I worked for four hours at a, it wasn't a a coffee shop, it was a juice shop in my neighborhood. And I felt like a different person and I felt inspired to do this podcast today because I was in a really great headspace because I did something that was mentally clarifying and free for me, even though I am struggling in other aspects. It was something that helped me feel grounded and helped me feel a little bit more normal. So anything you can do to feel normal, any person you can reach out to who understands what you're going through, I recommend that you just do it. Just Don't let that barrier be there. Just knock that barrier down and do what feels right in your heart and in your gut to make you happy. And each and every one of you that are listening to this podcast, I truly appreciate your time, energy, and the, you know, just you cut out 15 minutes of your day to listen to me bullshit and tell funny stories. And I hope that in some way this made you feel better because recording this made me feel so much better. I love all of you. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.